Bringing you everything under the Disney umbrella. Network 1901. They say that the world has gotten smaller. And that's true. I've spent a lot of time on the phone or over Skype talking to people from around the world for this podcast. But it does seem strange to me that even though the world has become smaller, it seems more divided than it ever was. Religion and politics are more polarizing. Different forms of media divide us instead of bringing us together. And this just isn't a recent occurrence. It's been happening for a while now. And it even plagued some of the ideas meant for the Disney parks. Like in today's episode, where we're going to talk about Disney's Israel Pavilion. A pavilion that was meant to showcase a large region of the world, as well as one of its biggest exports, religion. But unlike the Africa Pavilion we discussed in episode one of The World That Never Was, where Disney wanted to build this pavilion but couldn't find the funding, for Israel, it was Disney who pulled the plug. My name's Josh Taylor, and you're listening to The World That Never Was, a six-part series looking back at some of the things Disney never built and why. In this episode, we're looking at Epcot's Israel Pavilion, and I saved this episode for last because it's our most complicated. We'll be talking about fear, religion, politics, prejudice, and misunderstanding. And in doing so, maybe we can start to understand cultures from around the world and not only continue to make the world smaller, but bring it together. So that it won't recur, but we've got to get the level of violence down before there can be a resumption of negotiations in terms of who comes here when um, that is still subject to discussion. We're talking to the, to the Israelis, we're talking to the Palestinians, we're talking with others around the world. and. Um, Look, I'm working really hard on this. I'm frustrated. I'm just as frustrated as you are, and it's heartbreaking. We've just got to try to get a hold of it. And I, uh, But don't lose sight of the fact that we had three pretty good days, and I would say to the people uh, in the region not to lose sight of the fact that we did. And tomorrow needs to be a good day, not a bad day, because of what In happened. July of 2000, Bill Clinton, then President of the United States, tried to bring peace between Israelis and Palestinians at the Camp David summit. But despite American efforts, Israel and Palestine are at conflict. But before we can continue to talk about Israel and Palestine, or the possibility of Disney creating an Israel pavilion at Epcot, we have to look back at the history between these two peoples. For the sake of simplifying a complicated matter, let's start this history lesson with World War I. Because prior to World War I, the Ottoman Empire owned the land that would become Israel, and a large portion of the people there were Muslim. But in Jerusalem, there was an even split between faiths. Islam, Christianity, and Judaism all lived together on holy land. After World War I, the British took control of the land, or Palestine. During Britain's colonialism of the land, they decided to segregate different peoples. Christians here, Muslims here, and they also signed off on a treaty that allowed Jewish people facing anti-Semitism in Europe to find a new home on Palestinian land. That forced many people out of their homes or out of their jobs to move to a different area, making way for Jewish Zionists, people who believed that Israel would become their safe haven and that there needed to be a Jewish state, a Jewish nation. The Jewish population of Palestine rapidly increased during World War II 
when the Jewish people either had to leave Europe or face death thanks to Hitler and the Holocaust. After World War II, the British decided to give up on their colony of Palestine. They'd faced too much backlash from the Palestinian people, and they handed over the land to the United Nations. The UN divided up Palestine into two separate states, Israel and Palestine. And this wasn't just a straight-line border. Areas of land zigzagged in between each other, and the borders between these two states were a mess. The Palestinians were not happy with the deal the UN gave them, so they rose up. And ever since then, the Israelis, or the Jewish people, have been fighting against the Palestinians over who, over who has the right ownership to this land. And to make matters worse, this is religious land. The Jewish people, the Christians, the Muslims, all claim rights to Jerusalem and this holy land. As Israel became a country, Palestinians found themselves with less and less land, and the Jewish population continued to grow. And while other neighboring countries got in on the conflict, it's the Palestinians and the Israelis who continue to have problems. I talked to my friend Dale Wentland from the DCAST, another podcast on the network 1901 feed. He studied religions in college and has read all of the different religious texts. This is what he had to say on the situation. The people needed a place to call home again. And of course it makes sense that they would pick Israel. Like, of course, all of these things make sense. As soon as they became a, like a sovereign country, they were attacked by all of their neighbors. And then they fought back and they fought back all the way to Egypt. Israel controlled parts of Syria and Jordan and Egypt and gave it all back. Of course, I understand Israel's um, fear in defense of themselves. It makes so much sense. All of that history brings us to the 1980s. After Epcot opened, they planned to have other pavilions for World Showcase, one of which was Israel. Even before Epcot opened, Disney approached the country to become a part of its World Showcase. And in November of 1980, Israel signed a deal, and the president of their tourist industry, Joseph Wolf, would come on board to help design and construct the World Showcase Pavilion. Israel was willing to put up millions of dollars for their World Showcase Pavilion, and even the Jewish Museum in Tel Aviv agreed to provide Disney with archaeological artifacts and create a miniature Jewish museum in the pavilion. And on opening day of Epcot, October 1st, 1982, there was a sign in place. The sign read, The Old Meets the New, in the Land of the Bible. Coming soon, Israel. The pavilion really had a religious tone to it. And I don't know how you wouldn't be able to take the religion out of Israel. So to ask about religion and it being a part of a Disney theme park, I talked to Randy Crane. Randy is the host of the Disney podcast Stories of the Magic. But more importantly to this show, he's the author of the book Faith and the Magic Kingdom. His book connects both faith and Disney. But I asked him, instead of hypothetically connecting the two, should Disney bring faith into their Magic Kingdom? 
In an overt way, yeah. I, I think so, with a couple of exceptions, uh, especially since it's a public corporation. I think maybe it would have been different or was different in the real early years, but with it being a publicly traded company now, I think that that definitely puts them in a different place. Now, some organizations have theme parks that are explicitly for religious, you know, proselytizing kind of purposes. That's fine. But in Disney's case, I think that their responsibility is to be as relatable as they can to as many people as possible. And so I think, you know, that means that they can include morality tales that some would consider religiously based, but that aren't specific to any one faith. And, you know, I don't think that that's... The sign sat there from opening day until 1984, when it was removed, with no construction, no buildings, nothing. Just a sign removed from a space. And maybe Randy's right, and that the religion wasn't the biggest problem. But the fact that representing Israel meant that you'd probably offend someone. Whether it be the Jewish community, the Muslim community, the Christian community, the neighboring countries constantly in a land struggle with Israel. But I asked him, if they were to have a Jewish museum, maybe they could also have a Muslim museum and a Christian museum, and really incorporate more of the Middle East, instead of just focusing on Judaism and Israel. You know, I'm not Jewish myself, so I can't really say for sure how the Jewish people would view it. And I know that there's different groups, just like there are uh, within any particular faith or uh, you know, large group of any kind, really, where you've got ones who are more or less devout, more or less progressive, and things like that. Speaking from my own understanding, though, uh, not only is Israel's history rooted in religion, it's founded and has its origin in Judaism. It's not just a piece of it. That's really where it comes from. I mean, you go back basically to Genesis 12, and that would be where you would trace not only the beginning of the Jewish faith, but also of the people of Israel. You know, I have even less direct experience with Islam, but I think it's the same way. They would trace it to a little different spot, but ultimately it's the same kind of thing. So you've got these nations and their cultural identities that are rooted in religion, uh, and the countries and the regions really can't be represented without including it. But I think that it could be included from a historical approach without being biased on or advocating for one over the other. It wouldn't be easy. I sure wouldn't want to be the one to do it, but I think it could be done if it was done from, for lack of a better term, an academic or an intellectual approach as opposed to focusing specifically on an advocating type of approach. Despite Israel's interest in creating a pavilion for Epcot's World Showcase in Florida, having put up part of the money and being there for its design and construction, Disney decided to back out of the deal. They were afraid of what would be implied in creating an Israeli pavilion versus a Palestinian pavilion or a more generic Middle Eastern pavilion. They were afraid of the possible threats or terrorism that would come their way. So in 1984, they took down the sign. Even though it seems like the problems between the Palestinians and the Israelis isn't coming to an end, statistically, over 75% of all of these people want peace between the two peoples. But there are extremists on both sides. Like, for example, Hamas, which was founded in 1987 and soon after broke out in war, was an offshoot of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood. They've launched attacks against Israeli soldiers or even civilians, and have fired missiles at cities like Tel Aviv. 
And in the early 1990s, attacks like the ones from Hamas gave Israel the idea to build a wall, the Israeli West Bank Barrier, or the Iron Wall, dividing Israel and separating it from Palestinian refugee camps. The West Bank Barrier was put up without an idea of where borders actually lie. So in some instances, when the wall was erected, some Palestinians who were to drive into work or go wherever they needed to go were now blocked. And as a result, it left many Palestinians jobless. And the wall itself has had an impact on both sides' economic system in a negative way. But the Israelis claim that they built the wall for security measures against terrorism. But the Palestinians feel like it's a form of segregation. As the Middle East is trying to figure out its land ownership, not just in Israel, but all across the Middle East, going from colonial territories to statehood and dividing up borders, the rest of the world looks on through news media outlets or social media, and generalizations or stereotypes have started to come up. Terrorist groups like Hamas are not related to Al-Qaeda or ISIS, but these terrorist organizations or these radicals are all lumped together. And in the 21st century, we found that the word Muslim and terrorist have combined. And we've come to this generalization that people of the faith of Islam, Muslims, are bad people. 82nd, Paraborn Division, um, the company 782nd MSB. So it's actually in a transportation unit. So we actually did missions all around Iraq. That voice is Brandon Rains. He's a friend of mine, and he did his military service in the Middle East, 2003, rebuilding war-torn areas. While he was there, he met a ton of Muslim people. Sure, he had his guard up, and there were attacks, but he found that most people were non-threatening. And when I asked him what he thought the people of the Middle East, or of Iraq, wanted the rest of the world to know, this is what he said. It's tough when you have, um, like, a dictator, you know, running the country like Saddam. And a lot of them explained to me that he was a bad man, which was great. But I think, you know, after that was done, I think they wanted us out. You know, know, us helping was over. Another part of it, too, is I think they wanted the the help in reconstruction, you know, reconstruction of, you know, everything that was destroyed. I mean, we destroyed a lot of history when we went over there. I'd probably say, you know, they just want everybody to know that they want to live just like we're living. You know, they want to be able to support their families and, you know, they want to be able to have certain freedoms. You know, they just want to go on about their daily lives, that they're not all radicals, you know, that there is, a, you know, there's probably a small majority of them that are, you know, but it that doesn't account for the rest of them. You know what I mean? They're, they're basically, you know, for the most part, a peaceful, you know, people. And I think they would want the world to know that. Conflicts are still continuing in the Middle East, and they've now become a world problem, especially as religious and political groups have been targeted as threats to the rest of the world. And unfortunately for Israel, Palestine, and especially the Muslim community, they've become a target for hate. 
Demonstrators, some of them armed, have denounced Islam outside a mosque in the U.S. state of Arizona. The provocative protest comes weeks after another anti-Muslim event in Texas came under attack by two gunmen. Riot police separated those taking part from counter-demonstrators with a very different message. The tension was high as both sides screamed insults at each other. The mosque in Phoenix, targeted in Friday's rally, had been attended by the two gunmen who opened fire earlier this month at an exhibit of cartoons near Dallas featuring the Prophet Muhammad. Both gunmen were shot dead by police. With all of the misunderstanding about the Middle East and its conflicts over both land and religion, I looked once again at the Epcot Israel Pavilion, or even a Middle Eastern Pavilion, and I thought about whether or not it should be built. And maybe in some way, I thought it would be a place to learn and to educate others on the cultures and the religions on that part of the world. I asked Randy Crane what he thought about returning to the idea of an Israeli or Middle Eastern pavilion, regardless of the other countries or hate-filled groups around the world that have conflicts with it. And if there would be any problems with safety for the guests at Disney World. I mean, most of the countries represented in World Showcase, including the United States, has a group of people that hates them. And if we were to exclude regions of the world for that reason, well, let's get rid of the American adventure first and then work our way through the list. I'd be surprised if we had more than a handful left when we finished. Disney does have an obligation to take reasonable measures to keep its guests safe, absolutely. Like you say, they have that vibe of being a safe and happy place. And it's, it's even the first of their four keys. They talk about safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. You know, safety is their first priority. But, you know, excluding a pavilion or an attraction or anything like that out of fear of what may happen because of hate-filled individuals who want to stir up even more fear means that those people win. So I say have solid security before entering the park. Uh, have good security in the pavilions themselves, take reasonable precautions not to alienate people, but don't act out of fear. I was actually really surprised at how gung-ho Randy was and the fact that we should maybe heighten security and create the pavilion. Maybe I wasn't the only one out there thinking this. I wasn't the only one assuming that Epcot, a place full of happiness and excitement about world culture, could do something good and meaningful for the Middle East. So I approached Dale with the same question about safety and about building a Middle Eastern or Israeli pavilion and if it might do some good and if it's worth having. It's so important to continue to educate people about the world in as, as accurately as we can. Sure, like it's a bit stereotypical, like the Canadian pavilion is stereotypical. It, it It's not what represents Canada. It's a Canadian gift shop, you know, like it's all just kid, like the Norwegian gift shop and the America gift shop and the China gift shop. It's not the countries, it's the gift shops, which is fine. That stuff is still important because knowledge of the country, like going into the Iran Pavilion and like trying their 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 delicacies, their candies and their treats. That's so important. Like food is such a strong connection that you could offer people. And you kids growing up, if you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna have the same bugaboo that adults have about it. You often can't improve a country's relations within a generation. Once one generation messes around with the other generation of a country, it's kind of done. The next generation, though, can usually rebuild the relationship with the next generation. And that's so important. And part of that is getting rid of fear. 
Dale's right in the sense that children don't carry the same prejudice that adults do. And Walt Disney World might be the most perfect place to teach children or families about Middle Eastern culture and world culture in general. And even though safety is a concern for the possibilities of threats or terrorism, Randy Crane is right. If we're going to exclude Israel on the stance that it has countries that are enemies, we might as well exclude almost all of World Showcase. Because almost every country around the world has some sort of enemy, whether it be another country, a political organization, a religious organization, or a group of radicals. But fear shouldn't stop us from enjoying what could be. And when Disney gave up on the idea of an Israeli pavilion out of fear, they only showed the rest of the world how fearful we should be towards the Middle East, when instead they should be embracing Middle Eastern cultures and traditions and trying to change the minds of those who are anti-Muslim or who misunderstand the conflicts going on in Israel or other Middle Eastern countries. To build a pavilion like that today gives a voice to those misrepresented by the media or discriminated against out of fear. When I was putting together all of the episodes for season one of The World That Never Was, I put this one on last because it was the most complicated, but maybe in modern times, it's the most important story that I'm telling. And it connects so many of the ideas from previous episodes, from relationships and neighborhoods to foreign countries. And we've barely begun to scratch the surface. The history of the Holy Land, Israel, Palestine, and the Middle East is a whole series onto itself. But more than anything in this episode, I really wanted to showcase the importance that Disney has. The ability to create something like a pavilion, where love and understanding are more important than war and hate. People always ask me why I love Disney so much. Because I love cartoons, or maybe because I love roller coasters. It's because Disney represents the best parts of humanity. There's nowhere else in the world you can go and be greeted by so many kind and caring people. And Epcot is an especially important place for me because not only is it about kindness and caring, but also about understanding. Understanding new technologies or understanding world cultures and accepting that maybe we don't know everything, but we have the ability to learn more about the world and that we should take those opportunities. And I know that if there was to be an Israeli pavilion or even a Middle Eastern pavilion, it wouldn't solve all of the problems of the world. But with Walt Disney World being such a large tourist attraction, maybe it's a place we can start understanding and start changing the way we see the world. We've seen the world get smaller thanks to the internet age, but instead of continuing to make the world smaller, Maybe it's time we make the world a little more kind and caring. Make sure to check out network1901.com to see pictures, videos, links, and more information for all of the episodes to the world that never was. Before we end this week's show, I want to thank my guests, Brandon Rains, Dale Wentland, who you can find on Network 1901. If you've subscribed to listen to this show, you can listen to him on the Decast on Mondays. 
And he's also a part of Explain This Book to Me, another great show on Network 1901. I want to thank Randy Crane from Stories of the Magic. And if you're interested in hearing his book, Faith in the Magic Kingdom, you can hear it on Audible. You can listen to his book for free and try out Audible at audibletrial.com slash network1901. If you have anything to add to this episode, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me on Twitter at network1901, or if 140 characters isn't long enough, email me, network1901 at gmail.com. Like I said before, this is the final episode in season one of The World That Never Was. But for those of you wondering, fear not, because in the spring of 2017, we'll have another six episodes and a season two of The World That Never Was. So stay subscribed to Network 1901, hear me on Wednesdays on Modern Mouse Radio, and thanks for listening.